Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. With a petition of our distresses, being poor people desiring to worship Almighty God according to the tenets of the Bible, and they have granted us liberty and given us their sanction. Thanks be to God, we have liberty to worship Him as we please in Kingston. This was written by George Lyle in 1791. Born around 1750, George Lyle was an emancipated slave from the United States who became the first missionary from America to the island of Jamaica. He was ordained to the ministry on May 20, 1775, and was the first known ordained African-American Baptist preacher in America. He planted Silver Bluff Baptist Church in 1773 in Silver Bluff, South Carolina, the first African-American Baptist church in North America, a church still in existence today. Predating Carey's missionary work by a decade, the work Lyle did in the United States and on the island there set a tone for the expansion of the church, societal change, and the end of slavery in Jamaica. To discuss this very important figure in Black history, I'm joined today by historian Doreen Morrison. Dr. Morrison is a graduate of Northern Baptist Theological Seminary in Chicago and the University of Birmingham in England. She's the author of the book, Slavery's Heroes, George Lyle and the Ethiopian Baptists of Jamaica, 1783 to 1865. Currently, Dr. Morrison resides in Jamaica and helps lead Daylight Ministries to spread the gospel in Jamaica and with another organization called Liberty Trails with a mission to contribute to building Jamaica's future by restoring to life Jamaica's historical past. Welcome to This Week in Church History, Dr. Morrison. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. (laughs) So during Black History Month, uh, our show is turning so that we can talk about key individuals in Black history that have formed the history of the church in ways that our listeners may not be familiar with. So today we're talking about George Lyle. Can you tell us a little bit about why George Lyle matters in the grand scope of church history? I believe that he matters not just if you're an American or an African-American in particular, but if you are also not just Jamaican, but part of the British Caribbean, because he led by example as a minister, which set the tone for allowing other ministers to come forward, as he was the first. And also in terms of enslavement, the work that he did did not just bring about emancipation in Jamaica. It brought about emancipation in the whole of the British Caribbean. And Mm. he introduced us to the Bible. That's unbelievable to think about uh, that level of impact in one man's life. So what was his early life like uh, in the United States? What we understand was that Lyle was born on a plantation in Virginia. Um, his original name was George Sharp because his owner was Henry Sharp. Yep. He had parents, Nancy and Lyle, and his father was known to be the first Christian on that plantation. And so he, he grew up in the church and he took his faith seriously to the point where when he was 20 years of age, he made a commitment to Christ. And he said, God, if you can give me a mission, I will do it to the best of my ability. (laughs) And so fortunately for him, which is the the weird thing about American Baptists in those days, 
They owned slaves because um, Henry Sharp was a deacon in the Baptist church. But at the same time, they allowed folks with potential, even black people, to actually preach to black and white congregations. <laughs> and so Lyle was allowed to preach to black and white congregations. And so, you know, I think he was early 20s, if, if that, when he was then licensed to be the first African minister in America. And then, as you said, in 1775, he was ordained. And that gave him an extra level of freedom because the minute he got ordained or soon afterwards, his owner gave him his manumission papers, his freedom papers that said, you can go and preach. And by this time, they were in Georgia and Savannah. Um, and he said, you can go and preach at will. I will not inhibit you. And if you need anything, you, you have these manumission papers, which Lyle actually didn't use for some time. But he knew he had the freedom to preach. So he was in a unique position. That That is extremely unique within uh, American history to have that kind of freedom for for a slave. Now, uh, when Sharp died, his, uh, the situation for Lyle changed somewhat because his uh, Sharp's children wanted to rescind any kind of offers that had been given to Lyle, correct? Well, actually, they didn't know that Lyle had had his manumission papers because Lyle never actually showed it to anybody <laughs> or or presented it to anybody. And, you know, historians differ about why he did that. And we may come to that. But so Sharp, when Sharp died, his children automatically assumed as the war was coming to an end that they would get their slaves back and they had him arrested. And that is when he presented his manumission papers. So as he's doing this, what does that mean for him. By this point, he has a, a family, I, I believe, if I remember the chronology correctly, um, and he's presenting these these papers. Uh, what does that mean for him personally uh, that, that gives him the freedom at that point to be able to start doing? I think the reason why he didn't present his manumission papers earlier, which is significant to his family, is that in the in the in, in the states of Georgia and the Carolinas, if you were given manumission papers, it was beholden upon you to leave the state within six months so that those who had been freed would not then entice those who remained enslaved to seek freedom. Mm -hmm. And so whilst we understand that Lyle was free, there is no record that his wife and his four children were three. And given that it is chattel slavery, Lyle's family were still enslaved and would be enslaved until they died. Which is such a hard thing, I think, for us to think about uh, even today, that how, how even one member of a family could attain their freedom, yet it's still their family was not free and were restricted in ways that, um, that, that did not allow them to even move together in, in, in some direction or fashion. So Lyle himself, as he's, as he is in the United States and he has this, a little bit of freedom to begin to preach and to move, 
uh, he is working to uh, to found churches, and he's he's preaching in these areas. H- how does he get involved with the group that that ends up planting the Silver Bluff Church in South Carolina? Well, Silver Bluff, he became the minister of Silver Bluff on his ordination. And so Lyle was the founder of the Ethiopian Baptist movement. And as a consequence, um, he, he developed followers and he trained and he raised up pastors who, who preached and taught just like him. So a lot of your work has has dealt with this Ethiopian uh, tra- trajectory and Ethiopian uh, flow of individuals uh, both in kind of the Caribbean and also in the United States. How does this factor into the story when we start thinking about social networks, family networks, uh, cultural networks? Sorry, how did it? How did Ethiopianism factor into it? Yeah, in some of your work, you've you've tried to paint a bigger picture of uh, of some of those patterns uh, of slavery and and how this worked out. Did did that play a role in part of uh, Lyle's? Uh, networks and how he was going about in his preaching? Ethiopianism was the center of what he believed as a Christian, apart from being an American Baptist minister, technically. Ethiopianism gave him a spiritual, social, political identity as as an African that nothing else gave him. And so Ethiopianism had spread across the African diaspora in in the Americas following the Great Awakening. And folks were wondering if God had forgotten them. Had God yeah. forgotten them? You know? And they looked through the Bible looking for looking for themselves. Yeah. And they found it in the text that referred to Ethiopia. And their most their primary text was Psalm sixty eight thirty one. Ethiopia shall stretch out her hands unto God. Well, Ethiopia was the Hebrew translation of the Greek word, which meant black or African. Mm-hmm. And so they found a home, and they actually thought God has not forgotten me. And therefore, if, as Lyle thought, I could encourage the people to stretch out their hands unto God. We will be free. And he'd seen it in his own life, and he'd seen it in other lives. And so he had no doubt that this was the word of God for the people and for the situation of his time. That, that is such a, an amazing concept to even think about how this provided hope and, uh, and centered some of preaching. Uh, Lyle, as he is sharing the gospel in the United States, uh, he, there there would be an argument to be made. Why wouldn't he just stay in the United States? Why does he think going to Jamaica is is such a good idea? He didn't have a choice about going to Jamaica. Actually, <laughs> that's right. Um, right, because when he was arrested, when when um, Sharp's children tried to arrest him and he presented his manumission papers, he had to leave, and then he had to buy the freedom of his wife and children. And the only way he could do that was with the help of uh, Colonel Kirkland. And Kirkland had been a planter and I think had known his owner, Henry Sharp. So Kirkland lent him $700 with which he bought his freedom and that of his children. And then Colonel Kirkland got relocated with the British 
um, to Jamaica. And now Lyle owed him, and therefore he became his indentured servant until he repaid the 700 pounds. So he went to Jamaica with Kirkland. So as he goes with, with Kirkland, he is still given a large scope of freedom by Kirkland, from my understanding, correct? Well, yes. I mean, Kirkland wanted his money back, but at the same time, he respected Lyle because Lyle was a minister. And so, and so Kirkland, Kirkland, you know, he, he treated him as the Baptist minister who, who was accompanying him. Yes, he was indebted to him, but he was a Baptist minister. And Lila got respect, not just from Henry Sharp. He got respect from, from Baptist ministers across the South in America. So as Lyle is there in Jamaica, he's, he's arrived... What does he immediately begin to do there now that he has this new territory, this new environment? Um, what does he begin to do uh, to serve people in that in that environment? Okay, well, we understand that his ministry, he, he arrived in Jamaica in 1783. His ministry started in September 1784 because he had this debt to Kirkland. He started preaching in in a small house, in local houses. He preached to black and white. He preached at the race course. Um, one of the most significant things he did was called a hub and spoke system of evangelism. By that, I mean that there are 14 parishes in Jamaica, kind of like states that mm -hmm. you have in the U.S., and Lyle would put a leader in each parish, and they would have a central point. So for Lyle, it was Kingston, and from Kingston, Lyle would spread his ministry around the Kingston parish on, on you know, preaching and teaching as he went along. And so... In each minister that he placed in those situations, they did the same. And also following on from the church, they also established schools, which was unheard of because he was prepared to teach um, reading and writing skills to the enslaved as well as the free, which got him in trouble eventually. <laughs> I sort of say um, it wasn't smooth sailing his entire time in Jamaica, was it? No, I think they had nine or ten years of pleasantness because because of who he was, because of the support that he had. But then when Haiti had a revolution in 1792, Haiti's so close to Jamaica, the plantocracy really thought that we have to get rid of the only organized movements of the enslaved on the island. And it was the Ethiopian Baptist movement led by George Lyle. And they would do crazy things. They would ride their horses into his church and say, give my horse communion, please. And, you know, the Lord, Lyle would stand his ground and say, you're not fit for it. And, you know, it happened to all his leaders all around the parish. Some of them were hung. Some of them were executed. You know, many of them were imprisoned. Lyle himself was imprisoned twice. Um, under false charges. But the novelty of that is, I think, like Pilgrim's Progress, when he was imprisoned on one occasion, the jailer the jailer believed in him so much that he allowed him out to preach and come back. <laughs> Which is absolutely mind-boggling to even kind of think of how that 
what does that even look like or work like? It's almost as if nothing discouraged Lyle from his ultimate task of sharing the gospel with others. No, they, they, they had a belief and they had a dream, you know, like Martin Luther King had a dream. This was a civil rights movement as well. You know, they they had a dream and they'd seen it because Lyle came with uh, a cadre of leaders who had been enslaved and who were free. And so they all came with the understanding that they had stretched out their hands because, if you, you know, Psalm 68, 31 was was their key in the Bible, and they took it literally. It wasn't just words on a page. It was a belief that God says, I will not lie. I will not change my mind. What I have promised, I will do. And they took God at his word. That's amazing. Now, earlier you said something about uh, how because of Lyle's work, the Bible came to uh, the the British uh, British Caribbean Isles there. Explain more about what you meant by that. Oh, dear me. This is where I get naughty. Um, (laughs) There had been Christians in Jamaica before George Lyle. We had the Moravian Church. We had Puritans. We had the Church of England, you know, sent by the glory of King to, to bring the good news. But they never preached to the enslaved people because they didn't actually believe they had souls. Mm. And therefore, they didn't need to actually have the gospel because, you know, they should be servants and slaves forever. And so they, I I suppose the honest thing to say is that the Anglicans, they gave Jamaica the slave Bible. Have you heard of the slave Bible? Mm -hmm. 80% 80 of the Bible was redacted. So, for instance, all the prophets were gone. And the only texts they had were, were, yes, 19.5% of the Bible. And even though I I am a Baptist and I love the Baptists, um, William Nibb, even he, when he later came, when he wanted to teach people about God, he taught them such things, and we we have copies of his work, telling the children, um, this is what you should know. God can see me everywhere, they wrote. And they would write that day in, day out. God can see me everywhere. I am to be good. Mm. I am to be obedient. I am to be kind. So when George Lyle came and said, I am reading you Genesis to Revelation, and God says there is neither, you know, Jew nor Greek or free or whatever, all one in Christ, um, it was it was a phenomenal revelation for a people whose only hope was death. You know, wow. the most significant the most significant thing in the Caribbean calendar, even to this day, is death. Mm. We we, unlike any other island in Jamaica, celebrate nine nights. We will not bury a person before the ninth night. Because that was the period of time it took, they believed, for the enslaved soul to go back to Africa to make their situation complete. Mm. And we still do that today. But Lyle came and he gave us a Bible. And people were like, oh my goodness, God loves me. God cares about me. God doesn't want me enslaved. He, he, his work was so phenomenal that we had congregations in Jamaica of a thousand people. Mm. There was not one congregation across the island that had less than a thousand people. 
major revival breaking out because of the truth of the word of God and the good news of Jesus? I tell you, when you give them 100% of the Bible, you know, it works. <laughs> you think God might have had a plan for that? I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 think he, I think he might have. Yes, you know, connecting up the book. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, so by the end of his life, what is what is it starting to look like in Jamaica? Oh my goodness! By the end of his life, um, actually, by the end of his life, life was horrible. Um, because of how successful they've been, they introduced things like the Consolidated Slave Act. They had um, they had banned the Ethiopian Baptists from preaching. They had they had executed their ministers. They had hung members of the congregation. So by the end of his life, that looked pretty horrendous. But as long as there was one person alive, I think the mantra was. I may die, but my children will go free. Mm. And I will not compromise the gospel. If you want to hang me, some at one point there was a guy, um, oh, I can't remember his name, old Virgil. And Virgil was being hung because he was heard singing and praying in his own house. Mm. And they took him out and they were going to hang him. He said, are you hanging me? For praying, and they said yes. He said, "Well, hang me high so I can go to my Father in heaven." That is the work of George Lyle. Mm. The work of George Lyle was that he left a people who believe that there is a God who cares about them, not just their spiritual life, not just the life after death, but that He'd come that they might have life and have it in abundance. That's that's amazing, and for my students, when we teach, I teach a little bit about Lyle and in church history. I I also talk about the uh, the eighteen thirty one um, Christmas Day uprising or the Baptist War. H- how does Lyle's life and platform for ministry and the way that God used him uh, allow for this significant event eleven years after his death? the Baptist War, the Sam Sharp Rebellion, or the Christmas Day, right, whatever people like to call it, um, was, was really down to the fact that next to Lyle, when Lyle was in prison so many times, the next leader who rose up was a guy called Moses Baker. And Moses Baker preached across the whole of the north of Jamaica. And he, he basically in his life preached across tw- maybe about 20 plantations. He preached to maybe 80,000 people in his lifetime. Um, he was a disciple of Lyle. In fact, he was going blind when he was referred to go to Lyle. And Lyle doesn't talk about healing ministries and stuff like that. But um, Baker went to Lyle and having been blind for nearly a year, he got his sight back. Wow. And so then... He- he committed that he would be an Ethiopian Baptist until the day he died. And from 1794 to his death in 1824, he worked in um, in Montego Bay, where you have Sam Sharp, where you have the... Um... <laughs> you... And the Antocracy said, we will kill you before 
you actually get your freedom. There was a plantocracy that was spreading the fact that they were disillusioned with Britain should they like a seed from the British so that they can continue to do what they wanted. And mm. so Sam Sharp said, you know, Sam Sharp was a faithful servant of Moses Baker and then Thomas Birchall. But Sam Sharp saw his ministry as um, we would be helping the missionaries if we also worked to end enslavement. Mm. And so he took it upon himself to do that, but non-violently. The only thing he armed himself with and the, the others at the Christmas Day Rebellion, they only were armed with the Bible. That's all they were armed with. Mm. And they promised not to injure anybody, but they could defend themselves if they so felt they, they wanted to. So, in, in, you know, in terms of Lyle, Sharp was not the beginning of a movement. He was not the end of a movement. He was part of the Ethiopian Baptist movement. He was otherwise known as Daddy Sharp um, <laughs> because that's what, that's what Ethiopian Baptists called. And that was significant because there were so many um, infiltrators, maroons, who, who would work for the British government, so the British militia, and they would infiltrate the Ethiopian Baptist churches and turn people over. So they created a system of daddies so that they, the daddies would know who were their own. And it was easier then to stop the Maroons infiltrating and giving people up. <laughs> well, and it's the case, too, that the churches in Jamaica actually sent people out to plant other churches on other islands and in... Um, in South America too, correct? Um, I I think it would be it would be I'm not sure about South America to be honest with you. I know that they were in the Bahamas, but significantly about their project, I know they also went to Panama, but I'm not sure that Lyle sent them to plant in those places. Okay. But significantly Lyle sends Lyle sent people to Nova Scotia. He sent, he sent, oh my goodness, he sent her Anna Williams, she went to the UK. Wow. He, he sent um, brother, brother Amos to the Bahamas. It's this perpetual, it's, it's just a perpetual understanding of the advance of the gospel. Yes. I mean, I mean they, they, they were a mission movement by the time he died. They, they, and he kept in touch with all these people. It wasn't that, okay, you know, we, we, we are Ethiopian Baptists. He sent letters to them. He corresponded with them. He checked on their ministry. Um, you know, people called themselves. That's why there's so many followers of Lyle in Jamaica. They were all called George. Um, <laughs> brother, you know, all, or, or if they liked Moses, they called themselves Brother Moses, you know, after Moses Baker. But there were so many people. They were, in Jamaica, we have a George Vineyard, George Gibb. Um, you know, there's so many people call themselves George because of Lyle. <laughs> and he, yeah, but his movement went across the world. Um, and I think you did, somebody did something in America a couple of years ago on, on, um, folks in Nova Scotia, but the link was they were Ethiopian Baptists. So amazing. So amazing. Thank you so much for helping our listeners uh, kind of connect to this. And as you can tell, listeners, there's so much more to even be done here and to be able to 
to learn from this. And now, before we even went on air, as you and I were talking over the last couple of weeks, uh, you sent me a list of resources on Lyle. Besides your book, uh, what is another thing that you would recommend anyone to read, like top of your list on Lyle? Oh my goodness, top of my list, apart from my book, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, um, there's um, my, my, Maya Jonoff. I think I sent you a book list. Yes, you did. She she has some interesting stuff to say about Lyle. And I think I loved her book because she also talked about the the movement from America to Jamaica. Okay. That would be so, really good. Uh, See, so repeat her, her name again for everyone. Okay. I think, oh my goodness. I, I hate when people do this to me. It's, <laughs> it's my, I think it's Maya. Oh, she Maya, a book a few years Maya Jasanoff. Yes, I can't say his surname. I'm useless. Yeah, Jasanoff, it looks like. Uh, and it's uh, Liberty's yeah. Exiles, American Loyalists in the Revolutionary War. And she's, she's brilliant because her book even documents those folks who, who left George Washington. It's, it's a fascinating book. It's an absolute fascinating book in terms of uh, uh, understanding of Lyle. And there's a Sylvia Frey has a good understanding of Ethiopianism. Okay. Very good. And, well, and the, significance, the significance of black uh, black theology evolving through Lyle. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Morrison, again, for joining us. I, I know that my, uh, hopefully my listeners are inspired as they're hearing more about this and that they'll get more engaged with George Lyle. So, Thanks, listener, for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next week on This Week in Church History.